holy shit, we're back. Oh my god, this is great. It's it's it's, uh, it's been a while to anyone who's listening to this. Although you and I have still recorded this pretty regularly for the last we have few months. We have uh, we've just, just been too busy for the ten minutes after it. <laughs> that would usually always... be what I would post it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 all about post care. Everybody knows that. They're they're uh, it's just ten minutes. It's very ten. They're great because the episodes all went end with oh hey I gotta go. Yeah. It feels like a real modern startup, you know, vibe. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I'm already late for something. But uh but there's other context which I want to start with today, which is the launch of your stealth stealthy stealthness that you've been working on the last couple of few. What yeah, uh what, I'll let you take it. Yeah, so we launched Mission Control is the enterprise data science automation and collaboration platform. And we're doing this because we found that no one's calendar reads like this. 7 a.m., I have hot yoga. 9 a.m., I've got my standing team meeting with the head of data science. And at 11 a.m., I'm going to make a sexist algorithm. Like, no one's, no one's calendar looks like this. And yet, between uh, you know, a bunch of, of people on a team of data scientists, which might have us and data engineers, practitioners, software engineers, project managers. If you're at scale, you might have 50 to 60 people working on a single model that ends up making it to production. And it is unclear at almost every step of the life cycle who is doing what and how they're doing it. And this doesn't just create phenomenal waste. If you have a thousand person data science team, which is not uncommon for enterprises, it's on the small end, you can get back $20 million a year by making sure that you, you recoup four weeks a year of just lost productivity due to these types of problems of coordination. So it's a huge bottom line problem here. Um, but this is where most waste comes from in data science. And it's where most harm comes from. So my company, the AI Responsibility Lab, is a public benefit corporation that builds enterprise SaaS platforms for automating the hard parts of data science and governance and compliance and helping teams move faster, break fewer things, and do more scalable, repeatable, collaborative data science work. And this is the thing we absolutely need in a world that is both hand over fist, investing in automation as it is, and now especially as we're, we're looking at an economic correction happening, companies need their dollar to go farther. And they're going to continue to invest in data, and they're gonna to continue to invest in automation, and that needs to go right for them. And it needs to go right for all of us. So this is what we're working on. Um, and Kerp, I'm, I'm honored that you you gave us the chance to chat about it. For sure. Well, I mean, you know that I I guess I should. I I mean, you and I have talked about this for a long time, which I guess is the extent to which I should disclose whatever, right? Like I'm I am myself biased in my decision to let you talk about it. Uh, but but it's also relevant to the space where I work for my day job, right? Uh, if you yeah. have, if you're talking about AI decision-making algorithms, which is the reason yeah. we're here to talk about cognitive biases and stuff anyway, I mean, that's what they are. They're your brain's algorithms that are yeah. faulty. Yeah. They're a set, of, a set of, a set of steps you use to make a decision. It just turns out they make you make shit decisions. Data is critical and it's easy to get obsessed with data because the answers feel more concrete, but yeah. you're talking about another problem, which is the coordination failure aspect yeah there are there are a few things that can mess up the algorithms one of them is humans not talking to one another effectively the other one is bad data 
there's others, right? But bad data is easy to fix because you, it's not easy to fix, but it's easy to identify and action because yeah. you can go, okay, that's clearly bad data. We know because spreadsheets and let's fix it until the spreadsheets look better. Okay, solved. And everybody's patting, patting themselves on the back. <laughs> it's like, well, but, and then, you know. And, and then you find out, this is where data and coordination hit. Then you find out that your team that worked on sourcing the data fixes this, but unbeknownst to you, 10 other teams got their hands on it and have already used it to train something, a few of which are in production. Now you're looking at this and saying, I, Caramba, how am I keeping track of what artifacts have been touched by which teams and what they've been turned into? How do we surface that? Especially if, if we have an organization with upwards of thousands of practitioners working on this, there's no human or manager or set of managers that are going to be able to effectively navigate that quantity of complexity and be able to see the threads of influence and dependencies between people, data sets, models, projects, and the expectations around policies, either internal or now being created by governments around how to regulate AI. And that, that is the stuff that is, that, is the, that, is, that is what coordination failure is made of. I saw, this is maybe not totally relevant, and we'll get to the bias in a second, but I, I, I texted you a chart earlier today that you did that uh it's it's the relationship between use and volume of information and there's this curve at yep. the peak of which you get capacity for learning reached and then yep. everything past that on the curve is humans Useless. introducing a variety of cognitive cognitive biases because they, yep. they're triggered right so we can we'll try to describe it to to uh <laughs> to our, our listeners so the, the, the x-axis is a volume of information. So how much information do I have available to me? And the y-axis is the utility I get out of that. And as the x-axis increases, the y-axis increases too. So it goes up and to the right. Um, but it peaks. And at a certain point, that's what Kirk's describing, you've gotten the maximum amount of utility out of information. And then it starts diminishing again, in which one more unit of information actually makes all the information less useful. And what the graph points to, and what Kurt brought it up, is because when you have too much information, cognitive biases kick in and you start having to take mental shortcuts to figure out what to do with all this information. And those biases wouldn't have kicked in earlier if you just had less information. This is, so this both, is, this is both relevant to what we were just talking about and also the reason that the like gish gallop debate technique works. You can break a human brain just by shouting so much nonsense at them that they can't answer all of it. And then to a debating audience, it seems like you've won. Yeah. <laughs> because anyway. because not, not equipped to deal with lots of information. Right. Not, not equipped to deal with needle in haystack. Which I think is the perfect segue to the bias that we're going to hit this week. Hit me. What are we talking automation, about? Automation bias. Automation bias. Bias is the propensity for humans to favor suggestions from automated decision-making systems and to ignore contradictory information made without automation, even if it, if, even if it is correct. Oh, this reads like an epitaph of human species. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, uh, all right, well, so let's, let's we're here because we're trying to make it not. Uh, but on it. what you just said about, about automating systems, like we're built to do that because that's how our brain works. We go, Oh, we found an algorithm. Cool. Offload the decision, like offload the steps of that process. And then it's how we end up with cognitive 
biases, right? So, the overload applies to the, you know, in the moment, that's what's happening in a media stream when you, when you fall back on identity politics because there's too much yeah. in the media stream. It's what happens to yeah. algorithms. It's what happens yeah. in that debate context that I just talked about. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is all... I, I think this is one of the one of the, the freakier ones, um, and it I think it touches funny parts of authority, and funny parts of social cognition, because if we if we said this a different way, and we, we removed the technology component from it, we said um, humans have a propensity to go with decisions made by a process, or a set of rules, even when the decision is like obviously suboptimal, or better decisions are available. It's that like that it was generated by a process or a rule that makes the decision feel what more trustworthy, makes it feel more official, makes it feel higher value, makes it feel less prone to error, and it's it's in de-anthropomorphizing decision making and trapping it in glass, either literally as technology or or just as if this then that, if A then B, follow these rules. This is the law. It's, it's, it's the part of people that become legalistic. It's the part of people say like, look, I know this doesn't seem right, but that's what it says in the book. Just do what the book says. That, that to me says automation bias, like it's underpinnings are so much more like boring and banal. But it's when we, when we see it happen with like automated sentencing algorithms, which should determine whether or not someone gets bail that have been demonstrated to have have deeply unfair outcomes consistently. You say, yeah, but like, but it's just math. Math doesn't lie. You can trust math. It's like, no, what, what you're making me trust is the people who wrote down the steps originally. And that's, that's a way different situation. But the second that we trap it in a thing, we trap it in a, a semi-mechanical process, we, we step away from this critical thinking part of us that says, ah, but is this the right thing? Like, nope, just go with it. Just run with it. That's, that's wild. The, I had never really thought about this aspect of it in terms of like it, it, it actually being a bias to overcome. Uh, I always just thought of it as like bottom line thinking, right? Because when we talk about the sentencing algorithms and stuff, the problem we have now is it's a matter of efficiency. Like judges are just worried about clearing their docket. So, so you know, somebody above them will stop yelling at them. <laughs> Uh, and when you give them a tool that makes that happen, even when you come back and say, unfortunately, it turns out this algorithm is racist, which it is objectively. Um, they're like, yeah, but we save hundreds of thousands of dollars a year because of it. And we can't just turn it off. And then the conversation yeah. kind of stops. <laughs> uh, so like framing that as a bias is interesting because it explains that there's more to the resistance to that like like it almost ties into the the forever friction of trying to get like somebody to adopt slack if they haven't right <laughs> like like anything that's a different way of 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 you know never mind the algorithmic component right we fall in love with tools and we get used to the tools and we get really good at the tools and when somebody comes and goes here's a better tool or, hey, you should stop using that tool that spews carbon monoxide and is ruining our planet. Like, mm -hmm. it's not just a matter of people are like, of, of old dog new tricks. 
like situation, like there really is a bias in here where when somebody's found a shortcut, they almost if it seems like they almost immediately become reliant on that shortcut and and like ditch the part of you know I think this is why why maybe people who end up innovators or or more aptly I should say hustle porn purveyors in the innovation space are constantly talking about the idea of like well you need friction to make fire or whatever right like you need friction to refine your process like you have to be willing to push against the fact that you feel like you found an easy answer that, I hate that one because I had an asshole boss who would talk about stuff like that all the time, but it was just a thinly veiled corporate newspeak way to say I'm allowed to be a bully at work and right. I can't both create emotional safety and pleasantly disagree with people and not get my way sometimes. So I'm burned on that part, but I hear you and I hear what the thing's shaped like. Um, because, yeah, ostensibly all my considerations of emotional safety were weird one-offs. The idea that like constraints do breed deflationary practices are by definition like yeah what we're trying to get out here but i but I, I think about your your question of it's like slack and the the, the 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 permanent like uh we can't can't retool part that is something you and i actually spoke about that's one of our earlier episodes was one of the consequences of the law of the instruments um was that uh even if there's a better way to do something i know this way so i'm going to beat this horse into the ground um, so we actually did have that episode. We have talked about this. You're right. But like, it's, it's it's harder to retool uh, than it is to pick up something new. Um, but this 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 thing that lives inside automation bias um, is probably one of the more. I think it's a conversation we're going to have more and more often, especially around data science and, and artificial intelligence and the digital transformation. Is that as more and more of our lives happen outside of context in which humans can do anything. So. And this is this is good really goes back to a very like Deleuze and Guattari concept about like control society, is that there's these, you you aren't a person you are a, a mostly or, organic substrate humanoid who generates a, a data stream those n dimensions about everything possible about you that is increasingly being digitized. So every time they say yeah, but like you know the new Apple Watch can X Y Z, just remember that these are are points of data that will end up in an accessible like framework. Regardless of, of how much you think for your privacy's sake, this won't be the case. And oh, sorry, the helicopter going up. Stand by. Authentic, now that's an authentic podcast. The authentic Los Angeles ambiance. Yeah, that's an authentic LA podcast. I don't miss that part of it. <laughs> no, it sucks. Um, so, uh, all of these data points about you form form a holistic and increasingly photorealistic copy of yourself in, in, online and in the data space that can be used by automated decision-making apparatuses of which you are not privy to their design their training or the decision to use them but you must be subject to their decisions and these things can be as benign as whether or not you are allowed in your favorite bar this weekend because they're now implementing a facial recognition system for bouncing people at the door. True story has happened to my favorite local bar, the Venice Whaler here in Venice Beach, California, um, for which I, I do not control anymore. The relationship between the bouncer who knows me and myself, there is, this is being intermediated now by an automated decision-making process. And that is hard enough today for the bouncer to say, 
yeah, I know the software says something's wrong with your ID and I shouldn't let you in, but I know you and you're a good guy. I'll let you in. That's hard enough today. As this trend continues and more and more of your life is subject to what Deleuze and Guattari call the, the mechanisms of control society and automation bias kicks in and more and more people say, look, man, I don't know how this thing works. I just know that when it says no, I say no. That, that unless we talk early and often about automation bias as part of how we talk to people about these tools and don't leave it up to the, the distributors of these tools because they're counter incentivized to have this conversation. They'll say things like, this is a trustworthy system. By the way, here's a cognitive bias you should use when using it. No, they won't say things like that. If we don't have these conversations, I think we might find ourselves in a place where society increasingly operates through decision-making mechanisms for which no one human understands or can change, but they have their own accelerating institutional inertia of their own accord, for which the only thing they desire is auto-sophistication. This is one of the, the big the, the big practical, like, what, what do we really want here kind of fears, I think, I, that my organization and I hold around where we're going with data and where we're going with AI. Is, this isn't like, I'm not worried about like Terminator per se, I'm worried about 10,000 linear classifiers that we put too much trust in. They didn't kill us, they just made us brittle and bad. Well, I think maybe the way to wrap it up, the sort of the takeaway, which we failed to put up front, but yeah, we did. it is what it is. Um, this, this, because of this bias, like it's a, it's a, again, it's a cognitive bias, right? It's built yeah. into all of us. It's an yeah. important thing to be aware of for the future because everything that you just described is inevitable, right? Yeah. Like it, it, maybe it gets checked by regulation to some extent and we can live in peace, but like it's, it, it's, it's, like like you say in your social posts, it will happen while you are still young and hot. That yeah. we live in a world where all of these conveniences are provided and handled and like the the way the way credit scores, like what credit scores are to credit cards and your financial well being, like yep. that's coming for everything. Right? Like the whole the whole it, of you. The it whole makes of you sense will be from a legal standpoint to deploy an algorithm that says, Okay, we run risk profiling on people that come into this building based on facial recognition. And yeah, like you said, I think to have a good experience at a bar, you probably need to empower the bouncer to not listen to it. Right. Uh, but, but to not use that tool, especially in a liability context, like yeah. your bar blows up or gets shot up or whatever that we have to deal with in the United States. Um, if I were a bar owner, I'd be using that software. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, that's, yeah. And and <laughs> so. and that is just the that is the banal example. The practical example that is already hurting a lot of people have to often do with how their identity is commoditized, digitized, and then compared with only one or two interesting dimensions according to the model against a training set that was collected with abysmal practices and no safety checks put in place around whether or not there was a, a bias in a data set that would cause for a distribution of tr labeled training data that recapitulated an intrinsic bias that we already held, racial, sexual, you name it. And now you live constantly 
in there. I mean, SNL made fun of this recently with their skit about um, the uh, Whole Foods or the Amazon Fresh stores that you can go and just walk out without paying things and how all of the white-skinned, light-skinned participants and white folk in the actual commercial thought this was the coolest thing. And any person of color in the commercial is like, I'm not doing this. You've got to be kidding me. I think I'm fucking stupid. I'm just going to walk out of a store with food. And like, right. this is about like, this is about <laughs> as well as, as SNL can talk about racial bias and training data without having to unpack the whole thing. Right. And they did a great right. job. I think they crushed it. Yeah. But like, that's already, that's real today. That right. isn't even a down the line thing. And here we are, we are, we have these problems with automation bias. Well, sir, that's why you have launched products and company to fight the good fight on that side yeah. of things. Well, imagine that so, move faster and break fewer things. Bring it. It's almost as if it's almost as if there was a deflationary force of innovation. To bring it full circle, and on a stupider yeah. front, that's why we do this on <laughs> on a, a semi regular basis. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, I I needed this. I appreciated it. So Kirk, thank you for, for allowing us to, to to have our moment here. Absolutely. Uh, for anyone listening, so software is called Mission Control. It's the enterprise collaboration software for running a zero defect data science team and automating governance and compliance. Uh, it's available at takecontrol.ai and our company, the AI Responsibility Lab, would love to chat with anyone who'd like to help their team do better data science faster. And this is the Cognitive Bias Podcast. Do you want to play us out? Come come make good enough decisions with us. Good enough decisions with us. On a semi-regular basis. The algorithm told us to do this episode. I'm sad to report that the algorithm did not tell us to do this episode because we did not have a statistically significant number of listeners yet. Oh, no. Well, you know what? But you can all help us with that. Spread the word. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Kirk. I'll see you next week.